These are actual accounts from the desks of some real, not imaginary and not made up, but real travel agents. And some of you may remember what a travel agent is, but it's been a long time since you traveled. I wanted to share just a couple. And by the way, these stories really highlight the concern we have for people who really should not be allowed ever to leave home. The first agent wrote this. I had someone ask for an aisle seat in the airplane, on the airplane, so I asked why they were so adamant about that, and the person said, so my hair won't get messed up by being near the window. <laughs> Another one said, a client called inquiring about a travel package to Hawaii. After going over all the cost information and other information, the lady said, well, well would, it, would it just be cheaper for me to fly to California and then take the train to Hawaii? Another one shared this. A man called and he was furious over a Florida package that we, ha we did for him. And the agent said, I asked him what was wrong with the vacation in Orlando. He said he was expecting an ocean view room. I tried to explain to him that it was not possible since Orlando is in the middle of the state, he's still adamant. And he replies, don't lie to me. I looked on the map, and Florida is a very thin state. <laughs> and from yet another agent, a nice lady just called. She needed to know, how could it be possible that her flight from Detroit left at 8.20 a.m. and got into Chicago at 8.33 a.m.? I tried to explain that Michigan was an hour ahead of Illinois, but she couldn't understand that concept, you know, the concept of time zones. Finally, I just told her the plane went very fast, and she bought it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it sounds so good what I'm hearing. When's the last time you had a really good laugh? Let me ask you an important question. Was life meant to be enjoyed or endured? To be honest, you might have to do a little bit of both. Maybe you've already found that to be true. But the problem comes. Here's the problem. When all you do is endure, you see, life should be bringing you some joy without excuse. You know, the word joy, we often refer to it as J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and you, appears over a hundred times in the Old Testament and uh, derived from different uh, Hebrew words, about 15, about 15 different words, as a matter of fact. And then over the New Testament, we find it again about 60 times. So it's pretty important stuff. Let's read Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. And if you want to read with me, that would be wonderful, because... Uh, this is Nehemiah getting set to really get the people engaged, really get the people moving in the reconstruction project. And so he said um, to them, and uh, go ahead and read with me if you would, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be sorry. Here we go. For the joy, 
Joy of the Lord. Let's say that again. Let's put my instead of yours. For the joy of the Lord is my strength. Wow, you are right on today. Thank you. God bless you. You know, friends, every now and then, now more than then, especially in this awful age of rage that we're living in, we need to say, it's time to laugh. You know, I need to laugh more, and I try to laugh a lot, but how about you? Too many people just don't know how to enjoy life. That's why it's so important to study the Bible. And my, I keep coming back to the importance of this book. I keep coming back to this book being our roadmap and our guide and the, and the one thing that can bring us into wisdom. Boy, we need more of this book, every one of us, huh? And as we gain God's perspective through the Word on living life, Then we learn to enjoy life, and we'll actually learn, I believe, to laugh at some things. Do you think most people enjoy life? And I ask again, what about you? Do you enjoy your life? And what does it mean to enjoy life? And is it really possible? And is that God's intention for us? If you're not enjoying life, does the problem lie with you? Does it lie with your situation? Does it lie with your circumstances? Or is this something that you place at the feet of God? What would bring joy in your life? Now, if you had more money or material possessions and things and stuff, would you enjoy life more, really? Jesus said, my pur- in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, my purpose is to, is to give you life which is wonderful, and it's eternal life, but to give you life here in all of its fullness. God wants you to have the, in all of its fullness. That means an abundant, overflowing life. So why don't we have it? I've observed a lot of people are not happy because of their perspective on life. Ooh. Uh, it wears me down sometimes to hear some people tell the story and, uh, and uh, listen to their their problem and, uh, and, and to look at the, what they have for a perspective on life and what it's supposed to be. Some people have been led to believe that life should be a certain way for them. They've developed certain expectations concerning a, uh, what a rewarding life should be like, and they have ex- expectations maybe beyond what they should have, but concerning what that life would be like. And they, they think those expectations include a standard of living, uh, their family, their home, their marriage, their children, their career, on, on, and on, and on. But the real question is whether these expectations are realistic or are they fantasies? Are they facts or are they fantasies? Now, if we have false expectations, what we really have are not expectations, but illusions. And this illusion always leads to disillusion. A pastor was speaking about all the things money cannot buy. And he's preaching away, just doing a great job, and he said, money can't buy happiness. It can't buy laughter, and money can't buy love. And boy, I tell you, the congregation was silent. And so he's driving his point home. He said, illustration, 
What would you do if I offered you $1,000 not to love your mother and your father? I mean, a hush fell over that congregation. Finally, a, a, a little voice near the front raised an important question. How much, how much would you give me not to love my big sister? That might have been the same little girl who was attending a wedding for the very first time, and partway through, she looked up to her mom, she asked her mother a question. She said, Mom, why is the bride dressed all in white? Because, honey, white is the color of happiness, and today is the happiest day of her life. And that little child thought about that for a moment. Then, so, why is the groom wearing black? <laughs> We all want to be happy, don't we? Some have wanted to be happy, and it's been so long that they're not quite sure about that. But I tell you, I just want to remind you, we all want to be happy. You know, even our Bill of Rights here in the U.S. says that we are all given the right by our Creator God to the pursuit of happiness. By the way, those words were changed. The original words were pursuit of property. And then it became pursuit of happiness. We look around and we think, man, if I could only win the lottery. I want to just let you in on a little secret. You are not going to win the lottery. Only one person will win it. Or maybe one ticket will win it. And it won't be yours. i just tell you that up front. I mean, I mean the numbers are on my side, Right? You've been wanting this for 40 years and hasn't happened yet. Oh, if I could only win the lottery. Now, now, what would happen then? Everything would be wonderful. Everything would just be so great. I'd be able to have all, I mean, everything that my heart desired, and I, then I'd have true happiness. Hmm. Let me say that that search for true happiness is in all of mankind. Everyone's reaching out from within to find that nugget, that true happiness nugget. The problem is that too often we seem to be looking in the wrong places for the happiness. So I have good news for you today. I'm going to share with you a path to happiness that you're going to enjoy and love and want to just keep going over and going over and going over it. Yes, how to achieve that true inner peace and happiness that we all want. And I'm calling it the pathway to happiness and joy. We find the path, and you'll find this maybe a little striking at first, but we find it in the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew. Hmm. As Jesus begins the greatest sermon that was ever preached. It's the Sermon on the Mount. We've had a lot of teaching here from this podium on the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll have more, I'm sure. But it begins with what we refer to as the Beatitudes. Maybe when you were first learning about this and maybe growing up learning about Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, you heard that word, Beatitudes. I've always said Beatitudes are attitudes that ought to be. 
Anyway, the term Beatitudes is derived from a Latin word that refers to a state of happiness or bliss. So Jesus is telling us how we can be truly happy, and that happiness is what he starts this great sermon with. And so we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to begin to read at verse 1, and I'd love for you to read with me. I'm uh, putting this up for you to see. It's coming from the New Living Translation, and it's very poignant, and I think you'll enjoy hearing what the Lord Jesus is teaching here. Matthew 5, starting at verse 1. One day, as he saw the crowd gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. Verse 3. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Just there to verse 10. So we see that the first step now on the path to happiness, and if you're note-taking, you want to just get this one started off. The first step to happiness and joy is to realize that you are in need of God, and you never, ever get out of that situation. Now, God blesses those who are poor, and those who realize they need Him, and those who realize they can't make it on their own. The Bible says, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So let's look into this. The New King James Version says, blessed or happy are those who are poor in spirit. Now, just look at that. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I'm going to say that again. Blessed or happy are those who are poor in spirit. Kind of seems like a paradox. Happy are people who are poor in spirit. How can you be happy if you're poor in spirit? Well, let's look at what poor means. When you are poor, you're broke, you're broken, you're dismantled, and you're destitute. In a commentary on Matthew, John MacArthur, the great preacher, teacher, wrote this. Classical Greek used the word poor to refer to a person reduced to total destitution who crouched in a corner begging. Hmm. So we could paraphrase this by saying that happy are people who realize that they're spiritually broken and undone. Happy are people who are destitute and in need of something or of someone to lift them up out of that situation and save them. What Jesus is saying to them and to us today, to you, to me, is that we are blessed or happy when we finally realize what it is that we are in need of to be truly happy. And what is it that we're truly, that, that we're truly in need of 
in order to become happy, we need God. We need God. I need God. 24-7, you need God. Yeah. Happy is the person who realizes that they need God. This is the first step to happiness and joy. Okay, let's look at the second step. Jesus says, God blesses those who mourn. Verse 4, for they will be comforted. Happy then are people who mourn? Remember, this is the road to happiness and joy, and there's a progression as we go down this road. After we realize that we're spiritually broke and in need of someone to help us, we are ourselves where we see, we, we see who we are as ourselves, and, and we see where we're going, and we see the condition we're in, and we lament or we mourn over our sins. Nowhere in Scripture is this more graphically portrayed than in Psalm 51, which is the great confession of King David. He's lamenting. And in verses 3 and 4 and beyond, he says, For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you, Lord, and you alone have I sinned, and I've done what is evil in your sight. Reliable Bible scholars believe that this psalm was written after the prophet Nathan went to David and confronted him over his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. David was mourning his sin, starting to see the consequences of it. And let me say, David, oh, there's more to come. David was mourning his sin, and he was seeking the forgiveness of God. Now here's the lesson. Look, when we cry out to God, mourning over our sins and our shortcomings, he will comfort us, and he will provide for us a place of peace and comfort. That's what we desire. That, too, is what we need. And it happens when we come under the conviction of the Spirit of God or that we are reminded of our sins and we repent. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we repent and we change or stop what we're doing. My friend, Jesus says that you will be happy because God will comfort you in these times. Once we realize that our spirit is poor and that we need forgiveness for sin, well, we're well on the road then to happiness and joy. What's the next step? Verse 5. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Oh. Happy are the humble. You see, many people mistakenly believe today that to be meek or to be humble is to be spineless. That you have to let people kind of walk all over you. But Jesus says that is not what I'm saying at all. In the original language, meek, <laughs> it's actually used in the terminology of bridling a horse or taming a wild animal. The word meek is a picture of power 
under control. I like the definition now of meekness as strength harnessed for service. So when Jesus talks about a meek person, he's talking about one whose life has been brought under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and God is obviously in control of that person's life. Mm. You see, happy is the person. I'm going to make a statement here, and I want you to just kind of drink it in. I want you to absorb it. Happy is the person who can let God take control of his life or her life. Wow. Huh. Have you seen the bumper stickers that say, God is my co-pilot? Yeah? Well, let me say this. If you were to be meek or humble or gentle as various translations put it, then you need to let go and make God the pilot, not the co-pilot. Who's handling this ship anyway? Well, I'm doing pretty well and I need God's help once in a while. That's not surrender. That's not control by the Holy Spirit. That's not God having his way with you. So be careful. To anyone listening, wherever you are, are you a big American Idol fan? Do we have any in the, ho in the house this morning? Okay. One of the winners in past years was a young singer named Carrie Underwood. Season 4, 2005, wonderful Christian lady. After winning the talent show, the first single that was a big hit for her was entitled, Jesus, Take the Wheel. A line in the chorus says, goes like this, Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hands. I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go. Jesus, Take the wheel. I say this morning, thank you, Mrs. Fisher. Wonderful, wonderful. And by the way, from 05 to now, if you were to read that piece of Carrie's life story, you would be amazed at what she has had to go through to get where she is today and to be who she is today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Jesus says this, that to be happy, we are to be humble and allow him to empower us with the Holy Spirit. You see, our spirit is to be his spirit of humility and meekness. Not one who is spineless. Not one who has no direction. Not one who is blown about by every wind that comes down. But one who is under the control, control of the Holy Spirit. So for true happiness, we're to recognize our need for God, we're to mourn over our sins, our shortcomings, and we're to be humble and not try to do things in our own power, but depend on Him to guide us to be the driver, the pilot in our life. 
The next step on the path to happiness and joy is found in verse 6 where it says, God blesses those who are hungry or who hunger and thirst for justice for they will be satisfied. I, I, I believe this could be the, one of the hardest verses or hardest steps for you and for me living in a great country with a plenty of everything and lots to eat and more besides. And sometimes it's, we read a verse like this and it's hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to identify with that verse. See, we think of being hungry, it's probably because we just skipped lunch. Or we might have skipped breakfast. Or maybe I didn't even eat breakfast, you say. So we're hungry now. <laughs> That's how we define hunger. Or being thirsty, we've been exercising hard, and, or maybe you've been out working in the, in the yard in the hot sun, and, and you've gotten thirsty. That's not the hunger and thirst Jesus is describing. Back in the days that Jesus was on earth, people could literally go days without eating or drinking. And sometimes they just kind of had to. And they understood the concept of hungering. You say hunger, they knew what you meant. And thirsting, they knew what you meant too. How all, how all you and I can think about is where our next meal's coming from. Or where we can find a drink of water after being out in the, in the sun. Jesus is saying that to be happy, you have to have a single-mindedness of, I must be in a right relationship with God. And that must be primary in your life. Do you want this relationship as much as your body craves and needs feed and, uh, food and water? Think about that. Several years ago, I can remember singing. We used to sing it a lot in our fellowship. A song entitled, As the Deer. And this song gives a beautiful depiction of this thirsting for righteousness. The first line in the song was, As the deer panteth for the water. This is taken right out of Scripture. So my soul longeth after you. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship you. Can you picture a deer? You hunters can, but just forget that for a minute. After that deer has run hard through the fields and the woods, Maybe something scared it and it finally gets to a brook or a stream and, and, and it's, it's in that time, it's panting for water because of its thirst. Jesus says that to find true happiness, we must thirst for a right relationship with him just like this deer is desperately in need of water. Well, our next step on the pathway to true happiness and joy is found in verse 7. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. <laughs> Happy are those who show mercy. Mm. Because God will also show them mercy. We can be happy because God has shown us mercy through his grace. I want to bring you into a thought that I had not too long ago. And I want to share this with you. If you're sitting here this morning and you're a born-again believer... Washed in the blood of Christ, totally redeemed, know that you're his child, on your way to heaven and happy on the journey. I want you to hear me as I say this today. 
The real miracle of salvation is not so much that God has accepted you for who you are or what you've done or not done. The real, real miracle of salvation, more so, is that God has accepted you, me, us, despite who we are and what we've done and where we've been and who we've done it with. Wow. Wow, that brings the whole meaning of salvation. Just, it just expands it for me into a glorious eternal reality and hope for every soul. Grace we receive. By God's mercy, He saved us. We can be happy because God has shown us the mercy through His grace, through His kindness, through His love, through His person. It's who He is. Once we receive this mercy from God, we sh they should show the same mercy to others. And that's what I say. I, I can forget. I think I forget about it, but I can't, I can't forgive this. And my response is always the same. It won't change, so I'll be boring as I've always been. But my, my, my answer to that is, well, hasn't God forgiven you of past, present, and future sins? And you're holding something in your heart today against someone else? Blessed are those who, 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 upon God, uh, who, who show mercy upon others, for God will show mercy upon them. They will receive mercy. Do you want mercy? Do you want grace? Do you want the hand of God on your life and all over your life? Then you must learn to show mercy. Luis Pelau, mm -hmm. Argentine-born evangelist. He just passed away about a month ago. He wrote this. What a powerful story. He said, a mother once approached Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offense, not once but twice, and justice demanded death. But I don't ask for justice, sir, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. But your son does not deserve mercy, Napoleon replied. Long pause. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well then, the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. Look, we don't deserve <laughs> the least of God's favor. We don't deserve the grace and the mercy of Almighty God. But He grants it to us, underscore this word, anyway. I truly believe that this is one of the things that makes God happy, is to see that one without hope and without happiness and without purpose and without eternity 
just come to full realization of who he is and what he's done for them. So therefore, we can share in this happiness by showing mercy to our fellow men. Verse 8 shows us the next step on the path to happiness. God blesses those whose hearts are are pure, for they will see God. (laughs) Uh, One Bible teacher uh, uh, wrote this. This beatitude could be translated, Blessed is the man who is genuine in heart, who is authentic, who is not a phony, because such a man or woman will see God. You ask now, what, what does God, what does, that, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm, I'm, I'm never going to think a bad thought the rest of my life? Does that mean I'm always going to be this wonderful person who shows up on Sunday morning and I'm going to live that perfect Christian life, just never faltering, never failing? No. Uh, let me just remind you, bad thoughts will still come. Satan will see to that. You say, but I'm growing, I'm, I'm moving on in my faith, I'm going up in, in my faith with Jesus. <laughs> Are you? New levels, new devils. Yeah, the battle's not over. No. Some things will still happen in our lives that we're not really pleased about. But here's the great news. I just feel so humble that I'm honored to be able to open my mouth and bring this to you. And I prayed yesterday and I prayed early this morning that God will just just bring some conviction and bring some truth and bring some purity to you as I open my mouth and share some of these things with you. This one thing I want you to know, we can come to God and say, God, here I am. Here I am. With all my scrapes and scars and bumps and bruises and cracks and, and all my sin load, I know I'm not perfect, but I want to be honest, and I want to be sincere, and I want to be genuine with you. And the promise is, just do that. Just come. God can deal with that. God can handle it. So if you want to see God, take the disguise off. Quit being phony. Quit pretending to be the person you're not. Just be straightforward with God for blessed, happy, unbelievably happy, foolishly happy are those who are pure in heart. Oh, yes. We will be happy when we're the person God wants us to be in Him. The next step on the pathway to happiness and joy is found in verse 9. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. It takes a lot of maturity to be a peacemaker. Now, a peacemaker isn't just somebody who stands between two people who are fighting and separates them. That's a referee. A peacemaker is someone who changes the whole climate of what's going on. You see, there are two kinds of people. You can put this in your notes. One, thermostat people, and two, thermometer people. 
Now, what does the thermometer do? Not a whole lot, really. It only reflects the climate of the room. If the room's cold, thermometer shows it's cold. If it's hot, the thermometer shows it's hot, period. Period. But a thermostat can change the climate of that room. By its setting, a thermostat can change a cold room into a warm room or a hot room into a cool room, and a peacemaker is a thermostat person. A peacemaker can change the climate of the room when he or she walks in. Have you ever seen that happen? I certainly have. You ever been in a, ever been in a room where everybody's negative, everybody's complaining, everything is, 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 is going downhill, and everything that's happening is going wrong? Then a thermostat person enters the room and soon says something that causes people to say, oh, you know, you know, we never thought of it like that before. Mm. And the whole climate has changed. The atmosphere of the room and the meeting or whatever's going on changes. Jesus followers, hear me out. God wants peacemakers in his church. God wants peacemakers in the workplace. God wants peacemakers in our world, our society today. People who never dwell on the negative, dwell on the negative, but concentrate on the positive and see the good things God's doing in his church and in the world all around us. We can look out on our, our, our present world, just that, that bubble that we're in, call it North America, call it U.S., call it whatever you want, and we can get pretty discouraged and despondent. But I gotta tell you, that's a very small piece <laughs> of, what, of what God manages. Huh? God's in control of this whole universe. And we have universes and solar systems and all these other things in that universe that he controls that we don't even know about. We've never not only discovered, we don't have a clue. And he knows you by name, and he knows you by name, and he knows you by name, and he knows me by name, and he cares about us. And he's still in control. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he hasn't forgotten you. Keep those things in mind. Happy are those who help to change the world for Christ. Let's say it again. Happy are those who help to change the world for Christ. Do your part. Do his bidding. Do your part. And then what I guess I'd call the final step in our path of happiness and joy, I find in verse 10. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You know, there are people in this world that are so, they, who they are, it's so in tune with God. You love to be around them, really. And their relationship with him just flows out of them, just emanates from their very being. They are so in tune with God. Oh, so beautiful to see. I, I hope you're one of those people. These are the people that nobody can find fault with in the way they conduct their affairs and they serve their fellow man. These people are, pro, are persecuted for the godly life 
And by the way, and by the way, if you're really going to live that out and out life for Christ, that persecution could be coming to your neighborhood and to mine. And I'm not, I'm not a historian of any rank here, but I'm just saying that's biblical. That's biblical. So these people are persecuted for the godly life they live. They don't cower and hide and put it down. The only reason they're persecuted, because people can find no other fault of them, is that they're living a godly life that honors their Savior. And Jesus says we should be happy when people persecute us for doing what is right. Mm. Just keep on doing what you're supposed to be doing because you have an inheritance in heaven. Oh, don't ever lose sight of that. Don't ever get so tied to earth that you can't see what's ahead and what you have to look forward to. These people realize that all happiness comes through Jesus Christ. Amen? So I want to kind of bring it all down to uh, some sort of a conclusion and I want to do that with a story, of course. Hmm? And this story comes from the world of sports, of all things, of about 32 years ago, plus a little. Back then, a man by the name of Oral Bulldog Hershiser was pitching for the Los Angeles Dodgers. By the way, it was 1988. They are on the brink now of winning the World Series in Game 7 against the Mets. He'd had a couple victories. He had been named the National League Most Valuable Player of the Playoffs, and he'd just been named the Most Valuable Player of the World Series. One of the TV networks covering the series showed Mr. Hershiser in the dugout just before the ninth inning started. He was leaning against the wall, and his lips were moving, but there was nobody near him. It was obvious he was saying something to himself, like, get out there and do it. you got a chance here to put it away. So a little later, when he was a guest on The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson asked him what he had been saying. He said, I wasn't saying anything, Johnny. He said, well, then tell us what you were doing. And Johnny kept prodding and finally, Oral replied, oh, I was singing. <laughs> I was singing. You were singing? I didn't know you were a singer. Ah, Oral said, I'm not a singer. Johnny persisted. What were you singing, Oral? Sing it for us. Oh, no, I don't want to sing. Oh, come on. By that time, the audience was chiming in. Come on, Oral, come on, sing it. Sing it for us. He took a breath, and finally, the great Oral Hershiser started to sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him all creatures here below, and on and on to what some of us know as the doxology. And Johnny Carson, for the first time in his life, was speechless. The whole audience in that, in that studio went silent, dead silent. 
Then one person, one lonely little person, started clapping. And pretty soon the whole audience joined in mighty applause. I read that story over and over and over, and I've heard that man's testimony, and I just wrote down, what a story! You see, Oral Hershiser realized something, and it's this, that all blessings, yes, all happiness, yes, all joy comes from God. And it comes from our relationship to Him through Jesus Christ. The steps on the pathway to happiness and joy. Let us say together these words that we see on the screen and Let that be the start of our prayer that we offer to God. All happiness and all joy come from God and our relationship to Him through Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank You for the blessing of Your Word. Thank You that it speaks to us in pure clarion tones, not to be missed, not to be mistaken, but it's so true and so eternal. And Father, we pray now that if there are those who've heard this message and do not know you, that indeed this will be their day to turn the control of their lives over to you, to come to you in humility and confess and mourn over their sin and accept the free gift of salvation through faith in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those who know him, I pray that they will continue to grow and to continue to be strengthened, and continue to be encouraged on the pathway to happiness and joy. And we pray with happiness and joy in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said,